Chapter Seven of the Montessori Method. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Montessori Method by Maria Montessori, translated by Anne E. George. Chapter Seven: Exercises of Practical Life. Proposed winter schedule of hours in the children's houses. Opening at nine o'clock to closing at four o'clock. Nine to ten, entrance, greeting, inspection as to personal cleanliness, exercises of practical life, helping one another to take off and put on the aprons, going over the room to see that everything is dusted and in order, language, conversation period, children give an account of the events of the day before, religious exercises. 10 to 11. Intellectual exercises. Objective lessons interrupted by short rest periods. Nomenclature. Sense exercises. 11 to 11.30. Simple gymnastics. Ordinary movements done gracefully. Normal position of the body. Walking, marching in line. Salutations, movements for attention, placing of objects gracefully. 11.30 to 12. Luncheon, short prayer. 12 to 1. Free games. 1 to 2. Directed games, if possible, in the open air. During this period the older children, in turn, go through with the exercises of practical life, cleaning the room, dusting, putting the material in order. General inspection for cleanliness. Conversation. 2 to 3. Manual work clay modeling, design, and so forth. 3 to 4. Collective gymnastics and songs, if possible, in the open air. Exercises to develop forethought. Visiting and caring for the plants and animals. As soon as a school is established, the question of schedule arises. This must be considered from two points of view, the length of the school day and the distribution of study and of the activities of life. I shall begin by affirming that in the children's houses, as in the school for deficients, the hours may be very long, occupying the entire day. For poor children, and especially for the children's houses, annexed to working men's tenements, I should advise that the school day should be from nine in the morning to five in the evening in winter, and from eight to six in summer. These long hours are necessary if we are to follow a directed line of action which shall be helpful to the growth of the child. It goes without saying that in the case of little children, such a long school day should be interrupted by at least an hour's rest in bed. And here lies the great practical difficulty. At present we must allow our little ones to sleep in their seats in a wretched position. But I foresee a time, not distant, when we shall be able to have a quiet, darkened room where the children may sleep in low-swung hammocks. I should like still better to have this nap taken in the open air. In the children's houses in Rome, we send the little ones to their own apartments for the nap, as this can be done without their having to go out into the streets. It must be observed that these long hours include not only the nap, but the luncheon, this must be considered in such schools as the children's houses, 
whose aim is to help and to direct the growth of children in such an important fashion of development as that from three to six years of age. The children's house is a garden of child culture, and we most certainly do not keep the children for so many hours in school with the idea of making students of them. The first step which we must take in our method is to call to the pupil. We call now to his attention, now to his interior life, now to the life he leads with others. Making a comparison which must not be taken in a literal sense, it is necessary to proceed as in experimental psychology or anthropology when one makes an experiment. That is, after having prepared the instrument, to which in this case the environment may correspond, we prepare the subject. Considering the method as a whole, we must begin our work by preparing the child for the forms of social life, and we must attract his attention to these forms. In the schedule which we outlined when we established the first children's house, but which we have never followed entirely, assign that a schedule in which the material is distributed in arbitrary fashion is not adapted to the regime of liberty. We begin the day with a series of exercises of practical life and I must confess that these exercises were the only part of the program which proved thoroughly stationary. These exercises were such a success that they formed the beginning of the day in all the children's houses. First, cleanliness, order, poise, conversation. As soon as the children arrive at school, we make an inspection for cleanliness. If possible, this should be carried on in the presence of the mothers, but their attention should not be called to it directly. We examine the hands, the nails, the neck, the ears, the face, the teeth, and care is given to the tidiness of the hair. If any of the garments are torn or soiled or ripped, if the buttons are lacking, or if the shoes are not clean, we call the attention of the child to this. In this way the children become accustomed to observing themselves and take an interest in their own appearance. The children in our children's houses are given a bath in turn, but this, of course, cannot be done daily. In the class, however, the teacher, by using a little washstand with small pitchers and basins, teaches the children to take a partial bath. For example, they learn how to wash their hands and clean their nails. Indeed, sometimes we teach them how to take a foot bath. They are shown especially how to wash their ears and eyes with great care. They are taught to brush their teeth and rinse their mouths carefully. In all of this, we call their attention to the different parts of the body which they are washing, and to the different means which we use in order to cleanse them. Clear water for the eyes, soap and water for the hands, the brush for the teeth, and so forth. We teach the big ones to help the little ones, and so encourage the younger children to learn quickly to take care of themselves. After this care of their persons, we put on the little aprons. The children are able to put these on themselves, or with the help of each other. Then we begin our visit about the schoolroom. We notice if all of the various materials are in order and if they are clean. The teacher shows the children how to clean out the little corners where dust has accumulated, and shows them how to use the various objects necessary in cleaning a room dust-cloths, dust-brushes, little brooms, and so forth. All of this, when the children are allowed to do it by themselves, is very quickly accomplished. Then the children go each to his own place. 
The teacher explains to them that the normal position is for each child to be seated in his own place, in silence, with his feet together on the floor, his hands resting on the table, and his head erect. In this way she teaches them poise and equilibrium. Then she has them rise on their feet in order to sing the hymn, teaching them that in rising and sitting down it is not necessary to be noisy. In this way the children learn to move about the furniture with poise and with care. After this, we have a series of exercises in which the children learn to move gracefully, to go and come, to salute each other, to lift objects carefully, to receive various objects from each other politely. The teacher calls attention with little exclamations to a child who is clean, a room which is well ordered, a class seated quietly a graceful movement, and so forth. From such a starting point, we proceed to the free teaching. That is, the teacher will no longer make comments to the children, directing them how to move from their seats, and so on. She will limit herself to correcting the disordered movements. After the directress has talked in this way about the attitude of the children and the arrangement of the room, she invites the children to talk with her. She questions them concerning what they have done the day before, regulating her inquiries in such a way that the children need not report the intimate happenings of the family, but their individual behavior, their games, attitude to parents, and so on. She will ask if they have been able to go up the stairs without getting them muddy, if they have spoken politely to their friends who passed, if they have helped their mothers, if they have shown in their family what they have learned at school if they have played in the street, and so on. The conversations are longer on Monday after the vacation, and on that day the children are invited to tell what they have done with the family, if they have gone away from home, whether they have eaten things not usual for children to eat, and if this is the case, we urge them not to eat these things, and try to teach them that they are bad for them. Such conversations as these encourage the unfolding, or development of language, and are of great educational value, since the directress can prevent the children from recounting happenings in the house or in the neighborhood, and can select, instead, topics which are adapted to pleasant conversation, and in this way can teach the children those things which it is desirable to talk about, that is, things with which we occupy ourselves in life, public events, or things which have happened in the different houses, perhaps to the children themselves as baptism, birthday parties, any of which may serve for occasional conversation. Things of this sort will encourage children to describe themselves. After this morning talk, we pass to the various lessons. End of chapter 7